Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here this morning. It's good to be with you uh, today. So the Gospel of John that we've been in for some time uh, has lots of red letters. I don't know how many of you have a red letter, Bible, red letter, if you're new to this life with Jesus. A lot of Bibles where Jesus speaks, the words are in Red. If you look at the Gospel of John, you're going to find it's red all over the place. It has a significant uh, segments of Jesus' teaching more than any other uh, Gospel that we have. Over the past several chapters, we're in chapter 8 now of 21, uh, the past se- several chapters has been heavy in dialogue from Jesus with and to other people, specifically a group of leaders, religious leaders of his day. And as the last few chapters have, have kind of been developing, it, something, something changed in chapter 5. Jesus healed a man who had been uh, paralyzed for much of his life, 38 years in fact. And Jesus has healed a man and it caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. Because it had happened on the Sabbath day, which uh, caused this man to break a Sabbath code. And from this point, we're we're watching Jesus conversing with his religious leaders. And quite honestly, the dialogue's ramping. It's getting more and more contentious by the chapter. The setting for the chapter is it's a festival, it's a feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's like the big fall festival of the year for the first century Jewish community. And Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem and stands and begins teaching. He's teaching crowds. In those crowds are some of the same religious leaders that he's been having difficulty with. In chapter 8, he only really says two things. Even though your chapter will be filled with red letters, He really makes two statements. Everything else in there, he's responding to the reactions of the leaders to the two statements. But what he says in these two statements are really significant. They're really important for anyone who's wanting to follow Jesus. So over the past couple weeks, we've looked some at the first statement. Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Boy, that's worth sitting with for a while, just meditating on that. This is the second I am statement in the Gospel of John. There's times in the Gospel where Jesus kind of proclaims, he makes like a proclamation, beginning with the words, I am. And we won't go into that, we have in the past, but it was meaningful for Jesus to say, I am. It had rich uh, theological background for him to say that. It was a claim to deity on Jesus' part. Uh, The first one, he said, a few chapters back in chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. Now this is the second of seven 
I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world. Light was an important theme at the festival. Light at the festival was to remind the people of their heritage. Specifically, a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire that guided their ancestors some 1,500 years earlier out of Egypt into the promised land that God had for them. This fire was their light figuratively. When the light appeared, the cloud would lift, and that was an indicator to the people that they needed to keep traveling. Light is also a major theme in the Gospel of John. John really plays on this theme. And from the very beginning of the Gospel, it's really uh, thick over and over. I want to read a little bit going back from the first chapter. In John, you, all, you often have to go back to the first chapter. It's similar in the Old Testament you, you frequently want to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, where it's written, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those next first two chapters of Scripture are so important. A lot of the theological themes of Scripture are introduced right there. This is true for John as well. John begins his letter, yes, in the beginning, he says. Very similar. It has echoes of Genesis throughout that first chapter. John says, in the beginning was the Word. He's introducing a theme to us. And the Word was with God, and the Word, you know what? Was God. He's personalizing this thing called the Word. Let me just read a, a little bit from there. Because uh, I think it's important that we have a little bit of contextual background for this theme of light. We're not going to spend that much time with light. Dustin and Brian have done that for us. But we're going to look a moment at it because it's so, so very important. It says, this word in, in, in verse 2 of John 1 was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made, that has been made, in him was life, in this word was life, and listen, and this life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 9, I think this will be on the screen, the true light, there it is again, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Are you getting a picture of the breadth and the scope of what John's saying? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came into that which was his own, his own tribe, his own people, but they did not receive him. Yet, to the ones who did, who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right, the entitlement to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent. This isn't a, a, a biological uh, clique 
nor of a human decision. This isn't something man is making happen. Or a husband's will. This isn't someone in, in, in kind of in leadership making it happen. But what? Born of God. And then verse 14 is really the verse that rattles the cage. And the word became flesh. I never get over that. Every time I read this, it's, it's as if I'm reading it for the first time. And the word that was God, that made the world, that came into his own, that word became flesh. And he made his dwelling. Important word here. He made his dwelling among us. And we, John says, I love this part, and we have beheld his glory. The one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. And now here in chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What's the purpose and function of light? Light allows us to see. It illuminates our way. It helps us see what's ahead. It helps us to see circumstances or what's physically in front of us. It helps us to see events or people more clearly, not perfectly. But consider what Jesus is saying here. You want to see? I am the light. What is it that you need to be seeing right now? What is it that you're looking for? Where where do you need light put upon, shined on, illuminated? How is Christ being light to you right now? What is He illuminating? So that's the first statement. We're going to move past it. The second statement is found in verses 31 and 32. It's where uh, Dustin left off last week. It's where we're going to reside today. Jesus says something really important. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That, that's as big of a deal as the first one. Let's begin our view of it by, by zooming out for a moment and consider the context here. Because as we're learning, context is critical to understanding Scripture. We frequently have to zoom out and look. The context is this. In fact, I left out the first part of verse 31 when I read it because I, I, I hoped it would help us see the context and it would bear on us. So here's the context. Jesus has been conversing with these Pharisees, religious leaders, and they're pushing back on him quite a bit. Lots of different ways. So especially when he said, I am the light of the world. Boy, that really got 
under their skin. And they're pushing back in various ways. We're not going to look at those. You can read verse 12 to 30 of chapter 8 later on your own. But as this conversation is continuing, they're becoming increasingly defensive. And Jesus is becoming increasingly direct as it proceeds. And then in verse 30, right before Jesus is going to say this about if you hold to my teaching, John slips in something stunning. He says, as Jesus was teaching, many Jews started believing in him. That's supposed to rock us as readers. It's not how this has been going. (laughs) This conversation is not going well, but there's people in the crowd that are watching this exchange. They're watching these religious leaders become more and more critical, more and more defensive, and they're watching Jesus respond. And they're they're seeing something that's compelling for them. In Jesus' words, perhaps in his tone. And there's another part that we don't want to forget. They also are not just watching, they heard an invitation from Jesus. Maybe you'll remember it. We're going to read it here. It's in the end of uh, chapter 7. Go to that next one there. I hope that's the right slide. Yeah, here it is. So on the last day of the festival, Jesus stands up. It's right in the middle of this exchange. He stands up and says in a loud voice and says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from him. Jesus is painting a picture of life with God. Is your life one that feels like rivers of living water flow into, through, and from? That, that's what Jesus says we could expect if we're in relationship with Him. Anyone believing in me, rivers of living water. That's His vision for your life. It's His vision for my life. That there's something interactive, something dynamic, something living happening that would be akin to water running through, a river running through our lives. So some of these people heard this. I mean, they really heard it. And they said, yes, I want that. I want in. And they're responding with belief. That's the context. These are Jewish people who are believing. Now, most of us, certainly me included at first glance, I would be celebrating You know, as a follower of Jesus a couple thousand years later with what's happening among these people. People seem to be experiencing new life in Jesus. They're believing. But John says, not so fast. Because Jesus has something important to say. He wants to bring Jesus back front and center. As they're believing, here's what Jesus says. Hear it again. It's remarkable words. It's one of the most misquoted, the second half of it. 
text in the New Testament, we'll get to that. Jesus says to these people who are believing, if you hold to my teaching, if you'll really hold to it, you're my disciples. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If, if, Jesus says, there's a condition He's bringing into the arena of their belief. He's not just saying, great, you believe, fist bump. He's saying, if, in this two-letter word, if this is in place, then something can be possible. See, if is also attached, always attached to then. It's like a teenager saying, Mom, Dad, can I borrow the keys? I want to go out with my friends tonight. And Mom says, if you get your homework done, if you clean your room, then going out with your friends tonight with our car is a possibility. If, then. It's important. Jesus is presenting an if to those believing in Him. If, you see it, don't you? You hold to my teaching. Now this word hold is an important one. It's one Jesus uses frequently. Your Bible may use a different word. It may read remain. If you remain in my teaching. The word, is a, it's a rich word. It's a pretty simple word, but it's really, it's really deep. It means to remain, to stay with, to dwell. It's a different word from John 1 where it says Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt, but it's a related word. If you remain, if you dwell in my teaching, if you stay with it, hold on to is a good translation. It's a highly relational term. If you attach yourself to my teaching. If you are interacting with it, if you're entering it and sharing in it, two parties sharing in relationship, that's the gist of the word. Remain. Hold on. Now, right here, we have an example of Jesus being light. He's shining the light on their belief. Right here. He said, it's so good you're believing Belief has happened. John's clear about that. And now Jesus says, you've got to hold on to this. You have to learn to abide in it. He's not discounting the importance of what they're experiencing right there in that moment. He's saying you're having a moment with God. And that's good. But disciples have something different than a moment. They have a faith that endures. It's more about an initial impulse. Or just being compelled and making a decision. It's more than just mentally agreeing. It's more than a feeling, to quote Boston from the 70s. It's a lot more than a moment. There has to be a relational attachment there. There has to be a commitment that can't like be captured in a singular experience. That's what Jesus is saying. If it's only a singular experience, Jesus is being clear, it's not legitimate 
faith. It must be held. It must be abided in. It must stay. Probably Jesus' most famous parable story that he tells is about a farmer, right? Many of you know it. He's spreading seed on the ground. He's just throwing it all over the place. And some of the seed gets in the ground and produces what it's, what it's supposed to produce, but much of it doesn't. Some of it gets eaten by birds. Some of it gets scorched by the sun. Some of it doesn't really get in the ground deeply enough. Some of it has weeds that choke it out. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing here. This belief, he's saying to these, it must be of a quality that has staying power. You must hold on. Jesus is declaring that salvation is not a transact, it's not a transaction, it's not a deal we make with God. That, that's too simple. It's an invitation from God to life. It's a commitment of a relationship. It's an invitation of our life for His. It's an invitation of our life into His. And it's never less than that. Now, He's not saying your belief has to be flawless. You've got to have it all figured out. He's not saying you're never going to have doubts. He's, never going to, he's not saying you're not going to struggle. But He is saying clearly, you must hold on to Me. And, he says, and therein lies the proof of discipleship. That's, that's where it lies. Not an experience you had. It's in the abiding relationship. And then he says, if you will hold on, then something will happen. You'll know the truth. Before we get there, hold on to what? Hold on to what? Hold on to your faith? Hold on to that moment you had? What's he saying to us? You see it? If you hold on to my teaching, right? If you hold on to my teaching, you've been hearing me teach. It's compelling to you. He's being very specific. He's not saying if you hold on to all those laws from the Old Testament, if you hold on to the teachings of the prophets, the history of the Old Testament, he's not saying those aren't good things and you shouldn't read them and let them bear in your life. But that's not his point. He's directly addressing these potential followers of him with clarity. You must hold on to my teaching. Why is he being so narrow here? Maybe the answer is obvious. Because Jesus is inviting these people into not some vague commitment of belief in God or faith. He's inviting them to exchange their lives in discipleship to Him. And to Him alone. Because he's saying there's no other way. He alone is the bread of life that can satisfy our hunger. He alone gives living water that flows through us. He alone is the light that can illuminate our way. There is no other way. He's the way to God. He embodies the truth of God. He's the Word 
who became flesh and has lived among us. If you hold to my teaching, not someone else's take on it, not someone else's interpretation or reconstruction of it, but my teaching, he says, if you hold on to that, that'll demonstrate it. This simple statement resides at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not what your view of culture is or how you vote or who you read or what podcast you listen to. If you hold to my teaching, that's the proof. He says the same thing in the Great Commission when he's commissioning his followers to go make disciples, teaching them to obey what? My teaching. Everything I've commanded you. The words aren't nuanced, they're not complicated. But he's saying, I think, something to us, that the priority of our relationship with God must be anchored in the teaching of Jesus. If you're new to this, you may may be thinking, I don't know how to do that. How do I hold on? And what is Jesus teaching? I don't know that I've given my best attention to his, what he actually taught. Maybe you're, maybe you're like me, and I was, I was kind of brought up to believe things about Jesus, but not necessarily given that much attention to what he actually taught. And that was shaking to me when I came to that realization, and that's okay. But it, we have to change if we're going to hold to his teaching. Because his teaching brings life. That's in, its intent. His teaching is to show us what reality is. His teaching is to show us what a good life is. His teaching is there to show you how to be a really good person. And how to live a good life as a good person. His teaching addresses with what we struggle with, like... What do I do with my anger and contempt? You know, there was a recent Barna survey that showed the number one anxiety cause uh, factor in North America now is, you, you want to know what it is? Broken relationships. Sarah, that's creating more anxiety for people. Anything else? Sarah's studying psychology. That's why I pointed her out. This is her field. She could say more about this probably than I could. You know what the number two is? Loneliness. How odd they go together, don't they? Jesus has something to say about those things. Jesus has something to say about our own brokenness. He has something to say about the desires of our heart. Some good, not so good. He has something to say about fractured relationships. He has something to say about our worries and our anxiety about the future. The fleetingness of our lives, when you get to to my age, Nick, you'll be there one day. The fleetingness of our lives that we feel as we get older. Jesus has something to say about that. He has something to say about when we experience loss. He has something to say when we feel let down by other people or our jobs or our marriages or our leaders. He has something to say about those frustrations. 
Are we learning the teachings of Jesus? You may say, I don't know know how to do that. Please help me. And I would be glad to. And there are many others that can help. If If you don't know where to start, right where we are is a good place to start. Gospel of John. I'd recommend there. Or, if you want to go to Jesus' biggest sermon he ever preached, go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I would highly recommend it. Those would be two good places to start. There's, there's others, but I would recommend those two. I would recommend, if you do that, read it with a friend. Read it in community with a brother or a sister or a small group. Listen to one another as you read. Don't hear me say the only part of the Bible you should read is the red letters. I am not saying that at all. The Bible contains so much of the counsel and wisdom of God, whether it's in history or prophecy or poetry uh, or letters, little letters. There's so much. But also hear this. All of those black letters, they point to the Word who became flesh. That's where they find their fulfillment, no matter what they're saying. That's why Jesus claimed, don't think I've come away to do away with the black letters. No, read them. But he says more, doesn't he? I came to fill them up. So Jesus is saying, if you will hold to what Jesus is filling up in his teaching, then that's how you'll show. I'm not going to be able to finish all of this. We'll jump in next week. But I do want to say one other thing. Let's start into the second half of what he says. The first half is, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples. You show it. The second half, he says this, and then you will what? Know the truth. Man, that is a mouthful. Think about the audacity of that claim. I mean, if I busted up here on Sunday morning and said, hey, if you'll just really pay attention to what I'm saying, you'll have all you need. I mean, I hope if I said that, you would run me out of here quick. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. Then you will know, if you hold to my teaching, you're going to come into knowledge. That's the then. If, here's the then. You'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free. I mentioned earlier this is misquoted often. And what I meant by that is what we hear a lot is this statement, the truth will set you free. Well, that is true. But don't miss what he said first. That's how it's misquoted. If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know it. You can't leave the if out of it. The teenager can't bypass doing the homework if they really want to borrow the keys. You have to hold to his teaching. If you really want to become attuned to and familiar with the truth Jesus is offering, you've got to hold to his teaching. You've got to be familiar with it. You have to step into it and learn being with it. Now, Jesus doesn't say, if you hold to my teaching, you'll have all the truth. That you'll have it all figured out. 
That you'll know exactly how to respond in every situation of your life. That you'll have the right take on all the social issues in our culture. That you'll know exactly how you should vote. He's not offering that. He's saying, if you hold to my teaching, you're coming into a reality. Into a life with God where truth is residing. Where truth is the native language. God's truth. Jesus' truth. And as you hold on to that, and as you abide in that, you're going to live in increasing measure being familiar with the nature of that truth. And yes, that truth is going to bring you great wisdom as you move through it. And you'll understand more, you'll see more clearly as Jesus the light illuminates more and more. He's not saying you're still going to all get it right. Because why? Because we're human. The problem is not His truth. (laughs) It's the journey we have to go on to understand it. So let me close with this, and then we'll pick up here next week. Because I don't want to leave you hanging with the knowledge part. Knowledge of what? I mean, what specifically is the truth Jesus is referencing to? Well, it's a good, really, really good question. Um, and I, I don't think I would know how to say one thing that, that would like capture it for you. Dallas Willard used to say, there's four big questions of life. One is, and I've kind of referenced them a few minutes ago, what's reality? Secondly, what's the good life? Third, what's a good person? And four, how do I become that? A good person living a good life. What do you think about those questions? Dr. Willard said, these are the questions that philosophers have been struggling with for thousands of years. What's reality? What is the good life? What's a truly good person? And how do I live that good life as a good person? What do you think about those questions? Can you improve upon them? I would say if you can, do it. <laughs> there may, you may have like a better question that really captures it. Do it. Maybe one of the questions you might think is, how do I get into heaven when I die? That's not a bad question. Add that one. It's an important one for us, isn't it? We do think about it. But here's the deal. If you hold to his teaching, if you really become an apprentice of Jesus, what you're going to find is this. Jesus occasionally talks about heaven after you die. So it's not unimportant, but what he talks most about is heaven available right here and now. Learning to live in that reality. He called it the kingdom of heaven, the culture of heaven, the life of heaven. He said, hey, it's available right here and right now. That's what he talked about, and I think the implication was, if you start living and abiding and dwelling in that kingdom culture here, if you learn how to live in it, in your flesh here, then you'll be very familiar with it after you die. It'll be something you already have become acquainted with, even if you, all you did was just touch it. <laughs> right? Even if you didn't get very far, you've already stepped into it. That's what we're going to 
say, and I think the opposite is true. If we're not interested in the kingdom of heaven here and, and what it's asking from us here, we should seriously consider why we would want it then. If living a holy life with, with Jesus is not interesting to us here, then what do you think is going to change on the other side that all of a sudden that would look really good to you? I think it's a fair question. I don't have all the answers to that. But I think it's a fair question. A warning. You can't arrive at the answers to the big questions, whether they're the four I presented or your own, by simply doing Bible study. Now, you need to do that. That's part of it. But Bible study won't get you there by itself. Now, don't hear me say, don't study the Bible. Now, I'll repeat it. It's so important that you immerse yourself and become familiar with and memorize and meditate. But that alone will not do it. You know the religious leaders that Jesus is exchanging? They knew the Scriptures. They knew them. They weren't living in them. They weren't abiding with them. They weren't holding on to them. It's going to take more than just study. It's going to take living in the life, the Word that has become flesh. And that's something that is a life that is something we can't control or manage. It's the life of Jesus that He came to give us. It's not that different when you, and I'll I'll close, I promise, when Jesus says something like, I really know that person. Husbands, I really know my wife. I mean, husband, you know, you know, like my brother used to say to me, he'd bring up some person from high school, and he'd go, you remember, you, you, you remember Stinky? I mean, we only had nicknames in my high school. You remember Stinky? Like, mm, not really. Well, he, then he'd go, well, you know how they are. <laughs> it's like, no, not really. But... uh when we, I don't know why I told you that story, that was silly. But when, when, we, when we say, I really know that person, you're saying more than I've studied their attributes. Or I, you're saying, I've, I've shared life with them. I, I really know how they respond. I may not always know, but I kind of know who they are. That, that's what is meant here. If you hold to my teaching. If you're living interactively in this life with Jesus, living with Jesus, then that will be enough. That will be enough. He came to give us a life that we have to dwell in. And so grateful. We don't have to guess about so much of the life. We don't have it all figured out. But we have this. And it points us and immerses us and we meditate on it through Him. But we can't know the life simply by knowing this. Because it points to the life. And we have to know it. Jesus says, if you come to know this truth, it'll set you free. That'll be our topic for next week. What does He mean by free? To be free.
I don't have all that figured out. But maybe we can make a little progress. Let me pray. This will be yours. Lord, you have invited us. I can so picture you standing up in that crowd and saying in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone believe in me and rivers of living water will flow. Lord, that's such a powerful imagery for us. We don't want to be reservoirs where we're just capturing information and keeping it. We want to be rivers in which your life is flowing. Lord, that's the longing of our heart. We want to be people who are being illuminated by your light. We want to be people who are abiding in your teaching. Give us grace. There's so many forces and voices in our lives, in our world, that would keep us from that. So we pray for grace, knowing that you are full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jim.